Solar City and Whole Foods are teaming up. All that and more on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. Sean O'Reilly here, joining you from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is March 10th, 2016, and joining me via phone from the District of Columbia, because he just didn't feel like gracing us with his presence, is the one and only Taylor Muckerman. What's up, man? I'm good, brother. Is Trying the, something new today. Is the weather different 10 miles north of here? Um, actually, you know, I'm working no, so it's hard, not. I haven't even been outside. Oh, you haven't? Okay. No, no, I have. It's nice. It's It's short sleeve weather. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm I'm going out, uh, going for a walk and getting some lunch after this. Uh, So anyway, diving right in here. um, Yes, we talk a lot on this show about the difference between you know these big offshore billion dollar projects that um, are now not so good. You know, we talked about companies not uh, having to do them, even though it's uneconomical off off the shore of Brazil last week. All this stuff, Um, and apparently Chevron, uh, who's they're the second biggest, right, behind only ExxonMobil? Yeah, they're right up there. I know they're definitely not ExxonMobil big, but um, they're they're the second dog in the pack. Right. Um, basically, you know, Chevron, you don't get that big by not doing big billion-dollar projects. Um, they spend all this money. Like, what's their budget? Like twenty or thirty billion a year, at least it was before all this stuff happened. Anyway. Um, they're planning a pivot, basically, to profitable shorter cycle investments like its fields in, that's right, you guessed it, shale, uh, shale wells in West Texas. Um, yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. What, this seems kind of short-sighted because planet Earth, as I understand it, needs, until we are you know, all driving you know, electric cars, 95, 96 million, million barrels of oil a day. And shale's awesome. You know, we're getting 9 million barrels a day in this country out of it, but... This seems kind of short-sighted. They're they're talking about spending a tenth of their budget in West Texas and all this stuff. And is is Chevron making a mistake here? Well, you know, you you look at it from the perspective on a company by company basis, and for the most part, big oil kind of gave shale the cold shoulder um, for most of the early days up so, until just recently. Really, I mean, what was that? Did they did they think that's oh that's just for the little guys we're just going to leave it to them I mean what it just I don't know it just seems crazy to me yeah exactly I think they probably thought you know the shell revolution well let's leave that for the wildcatters um, that's going to be something that you know we're we're too big we're too cool for that you know it's going to be a lot of testing and learning let's go ahead and take our expertise to these massive fields offshore um, internationally. One of these fields that have a lot to offer over the long term, um, but as we've been seeing, these are obviously expensive. Um, they're time consuming, and for the most part, they go over budget and they take longer than originally thought. Yeah. Um, and, and as we've clearly seen, shale over the last few years has turned out to be anything but uh, a flash in the pan. So um, Chevron, uh, I think it's a combination of a low oil prices, so they need immediate short-term returns. And B, a lot of their long-term projects that they've been working on are finally starting to see the finish line. Um, The Gorgon project finally came online with its first train. Um, Its Angola LNG projects are are probably supposed to come on in the next quarter of this year. Do you remember, Um, uh, sorry to interrupt, do you remember when those projects got started? Um, I don't remember the exact date, but it's been several years been in the years, making, yeah. and, and they were all gone over time and over budget. 
Um, we're talking about huge capital intensity. Um, so with those coming up to the final stages, they're just kind of relinquishing the idea of continuing to find these big projects and dumping billions of dollars into them. Um, instead, they're going to start taking the cash flow from these major projects that they've been spending billions on over the past few years and turning that cash flow and spending it, um, in Chevron's case, largely in the Permian uh, because they're the largest landholder there, but they are not the largest producer. So they've pretty much just been sitting on it. And the Permian uh, is, A, expected to be the largest land-based basin in the United States, and it's been uh, much more resilient than fields like the Bakken or the Eagle Ford when you've seen the prices fall. So you see um, around 2 million barrels per day, um, up from 1.4 billion barrels per day in the early stages of 2014. Um, so the Permian has had some, some ability to sustain production through this downturn, and Chevron is looking to pour more money into that now that some of these long-tail projects are coming online. Yeah, we so saw a lot of that. It, some similarities with Exxon um, w- with their capital-intense projects coming online recently, um, they too have been able to start to reap the cash flows from that. But yeah, you have to wonder 20 years from now, um, because of shale's decline curves, what's this going to look like? Right. Um, and in an annual update on Tuesday, um, Chevron CEO, that John Watson, I don't know if you uh, uh, read what he actually said, but he said, don't be surprised if by the middle of next decade, so he, I don't know, he's talking about 2025, um, yeah, yeah. 20 to 25% of our production in this short cycle shale and tight activity, um, I can't really blame him because uh, he talked about how they have in the Permian, 1,300 drilling locations that are profitable at $40 oil, another 4,000 at $50 oil, and another 5,500 on top of that at 60. Um, yeah, yeah. So if you can go do that, I mean, I, I guess I can't really blame them for not doing the big projects, but I, I don't know. No, you certainly can't, at least right now. I mean, obviously, these deep water projects and um, things like that and the, the floating production facilities that these major oil companies have been building as of late – um, those just aren't going to turn money over at $30, 40 $50 a barrel. So short term, this is probably a good idea, but, I mean, you're, you're probably going to see some scrambling in a decade if uh, if the long-tail projects that are coming online right now don't have They're the lifespan that they originally thought. Yeah. yeah. All right, so moving on. Uh, so, Taylor, you obviously saw the news that uh, Solar City's teaming up with uh, Whole Foods, of all pe- people, right? Yes, I have, yep. What uh, What do you think about that? For our listeners that uh, may not have heard this, um, Solar City, their shares actually popped a little bit this week on the news. They're teaming up with Whole Foods to install solar panels on the roofs of 100 Whole, Fo- Whole Foods store rooftops. Um is this the first time that whole, whole, uh, I'm sorry, Solar Cities teamed up with a a, a commercial u, a user at the, at this scale? Um, not the first time they've teamed up with a commercial user, possibly at this scale. But one of the things that I think a reason for the pop was that, um, despite better than expected results reported in the last fourth quarter, um, it's still falling short on installation goals. And that's not on the residential side. That's on the commercial side. Mm-hmm. So, so this think, definitely helps that. Yeah, I think by them announcing more commercial deals um, and 
So this this deal is kind of split between Solar City and NRG Energy in terms of who's going to be installing the solar panels, and it's going to be on around 100, 100 stores. They didn't disclose the breakout of who's going to be installing how many and where. That was um, going to be my question because apparently, yeah. I didn't know this, uh, they're actually having to custom design each solar power system to maximize the amount of grid power offset and all this stuff. And I was like, how, yep. how's that all, all that going to get chopped up? It sounds like, I don't know, some negotiating is still going to have to take place. Yeah, so I don't think that this is going to be like something that's going to start taking place tomorrow. But Whole Foods does have experience in using um, solar power for some of their stores. I think they've already got it on 25 stores, they claim. And that's out of 434 stores in the U.S. So if you add these 100, then you're looking at over a quarter of their stores powered by solar. Um, And I imagine that if it works out, they continue to expand these deals. Um, unfortunately, some of their stores, like the one near our office, is under a multi-story building. Um, Those darn so apartments to, upstairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have to wonder about their ability to install solar on every single facility. But um, at the, just showing you the, the diversification that Solar City is capable of, um, and I think, A, the shares have sold off significantly over the past few months. So that that definitely has some reason to do with um, the volatility and the pop. But I think that this shows shareholders that there's a lot more opportunity out there for Solar City than maybe some people um, have been giving them credit for lately, especially in light of them, you know, removing themselves from the Nevada marketplace. Uh, I think that this is definitely um, a step in the right direction for Solar City and NRG Energy too. They've been really struggling in the markets as well. Um, they they do have a significant portion of, of fossil fuel generation. So to see NRG Energy continue to push into the renewable space, um, I think is definitely a blessing for them as well. Awesome. All right. Before we move on, I wanted to point our listeners to focus.fool.com, where you can discover a discount on the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter letter that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And uh, Taylor, before we head out, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on what's going on over at Clean Energy Fuels. Um, I actually just did uh, some research on them in the last um, month and uh, actually put out some content I'm super proud of. Um, one titled You should be. I should be, yeah. Did you read it yet? (laughs) I've read a couple of them, yeah. Okay, all right. I I didn't make a complete and total fool of myself, and by fool I mean lowercase fool. Yeah, yeah, no lowercase in this instance. Um, And for our listeners that want to check these out, uh, the first one is, Will Clean Energy Fuels Corp. Ever Put Profits Up on the Board? And the other is, Clean Energy Fuels, A Flawed Business Model or On the Road to Greatness? Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts because I, I get the sense when I took a deep dive on these guys that they're kind of at an inflection point. They they haven't had a gap profit since 2007. They spend tons and tons of money every year building out this network. They've actually got, I think it's 500 uh, uh, national gas uh, fueling stations for buses and waste management trucks and stuff now. Yeah. Um, they're finally... Uh, operating cash flow positive, I guess, is the the fancy term they like to throw around. Still, uh, 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 you know, in the red on uh, gap profits, but sure. they keep adding customers. And they've got, I mean, UPS, FedEx, waste management, um, tons of city bus. I think they've got city, uh, 30 cities off the top of my head uh, that are using uh, natural gas buses for public transportation. Yep. Um, is, is, A lot of airports have... Yeah, um, that's right, yeah. 
clean energy fueling stations at, at their facilities too for all of their administrative vehicles. Have, have yep. they finally reached the promised land of where they can kind of sit back and be like, okay, we're just going to add customers and it's all just operating leverage now? I mean, where where do you think they are? So this is interesting because if you'd asked me that a year or two ago, um, I, I, I really thought this company had a very bright future. Um, and I still think they do with these fleet vehicles, um, like you mentioned, with buses and, and waste waste management, the company, and just that industry in general. Um, so I think, and, and then if you look at long distance hauling in terms of trucking, I think that that's really what they've limited themselves to, not, not because of their own fault, but just because the whole natural gas vehicle industry has been very slow to evolve. And with all of the chatter about electric vehicles and um, the, the focus, You've seen Tesla kind of change the conversation. Now you hear more from the likes of General Motors and Ford and BMW and all these big-name automotive companies. You hear more and more from them about electric vehicles than you do about natural gas vehicles um, or hybrids that blend natural gas and electricity. I I think that I worry for them that they might have missed the boat on, on, like, vehicles that you and I might drive. I still think that they have a future with, like I said, the fleet vehicles. Big stuff, and yeah. Just say long, big yeah, stuff. Yeah, the long distance hauling <laughs> because that's gonna. I think that's gonna take a while for engines to be able to power them electronically um, because we're talking about hauling tons and tons of right. of equipment and goods and, and things like that. So um, that's my one question with this company right now: is how is the is their market too small? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How is the surge in electric vehicles? Maybe not in the production and the and the buying of them, but um, just the focus. And and when companies start to focus on on these, they're going to take a lot of their resources away from developing um, commercial ve- or vehicles for for everyday use that that use natural gas. So um, they they had a really tough struggle early on because they weren't producing the vehicles, they were only producing the fueling stations. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to produce all these fueling stations if no one was producing vehicles, and no one wanted to produce vehicles if no one was producing Right, it's the ultimate um, catch-22. It's like, okay, who's going to break here? And they spent all this money building this network, and what they're trying to do is really, really hard. They're trying to change enti- the habits of an entire industry. Absolutely, and the infrastructure needed is way more different and way more complex than electric vehicles you can you can charge an electric vehicle at your house most parking garages that are being built or are being retrofitted are being equipped with electric vehicle charging stations because they're minimally obtrusive they're not hard to install tesla took the the whole chicken and the egg debate completely out of the question because they built both vehicles and charging stations you can crisscross the entire country um thanks to Tesla now on major highways without having to worry about running out of power unless you just have a lapse in uh, oversight and don't realize that your your electricity is running low. But um, So that was, that's my big worry with this company um, long-term is that, is that um, vehicles that everyone around the country is buying are most likely going to be electric in the next decade than they are going to be natural gas. Got it. Cool. All right, Taylor, I'll let you get back to it. Keep rocking uh, stuff on the premium side. And uh, thank you for calling in, man. Yes, indeed. Happy to uh, be on the podcast as always. All right. Enjoy the weather, man. Cheers. 
And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Once again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Taylor Muckerman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!